It is good to see you guys here this morning. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater. We are beginning a brand new series this morning, and it's titled, This Is What We Do. Every now and then here at Bridgewater, a couple of times a year, we do a series that I like to call a discipleship series, okay? This is a series that's designed to take a particular area of our lives and to to work on us, to bring us more in line with who God calls us to be. Now, here's the thing. When we walk through a discipleship series, um, we are talking specifically to people who have committed themselves to following Jesus. That means a couple of things for us here. Um, We know every single week there's all kinds of new people in all of our Bridgewater campuses, and we love that. It's awesome. We also know that maybe that means not everybody here is sure about Jesus in your life, and that's fine. But one of the things I want you to know is that as we walk through this series or any discipleship series, if you aren't sure about Jesus, guess what you get? You get a guilt-free 20-minute nap, okay? <clears throat> you, can, you can listen in if you want. I invite you to, but I do not want you to think, okay? I, I want to be clear on this. I do not want you to think that what we talk about today is some sort of hurdle or some sort of requirement that you have to check off in order to be good with God, okay? This is really all about people who have decided to commit themselves to following Jesus and and bringing our lives into obedience under him, okay? So, a couple of things. Um, there's, there's good news with a series like this. If you, are a, if you are a Christ follower, the more that we bring our lives in line with Jesus, I'm telling you, that is the best life you could possibly live, okay? And even though today we're going to talk about some stuff that's mildly uncomfortable and, and difficult, this invites us in to the best life that we could live. Now, let me give you a quick definition, at least for me, uh, of what it means to talk about discipleship, okay? Discipleship for me is really taking steps to follow Jesus in increasing obedience across every aspect of our lives. A couple of things in here. First, it's taking steps. It's not like you one day wake up and go, ooh, hey, I'm going to do this and I'm all grown up. Look at me. I'm a big boy. No. It's step by step by step. I've been following Jesus since I was six. I won't tell you how many years that is, but it's a lot. And I've got tons of next steps to keep taking. Second, it involves increasing obedience. And here's the thing. Um, it'd be really easy, you know, to, to, to feel like, uh, you know, this is just a guilty statement, but, it, but it's not. God wants us to, little by little, start obeying him more and more in the different aspects of our lives. And the last is where I say here, every aspect of your life, there is not a single portion of your life that God is not trying to bring under his leadership. Not your thoughts, not your speech not your relationships, not your work, not, not, not your entertainment, 
God is interested in bringing every single aspect, if you're a Christ follower, every single aspect of your life under his leadership. And today, and over the next three weeks, we are going to talk about growing as disciples in the area of stewardship. You ever heard that term before? It's not a term that we use a lot in our culture anymore, but the idea of a steward is someone who's entrusted something. They don't own it. It doesn't belong to them. They aren't the ones who get to make the ultimate calls with it, but, but they are entrusted it to manage it and to make wise investments with it over time. And here's the thing. God's Word says some things to Christians about Stewardship. Here's what it says to us. It says, God says, we are stewards, not owners. God's word. God calls us stewards, not owners. He calls us stewards, actually, of our bodies. Do you know that? I know our culture, this is countercultural. The culture will tell you, your body is yours. I'm going to tell you as a Christ follower, your body is God's. It belongs to God. You're, you're to manage it and to manage it well. The scripture says time is actually a stewardship issue for us as well. Time doesn't belong to you. We, we, don't, we don't control it. We, we just get to manage it and try to use it well. There's a number of areas that the scripture talks about us being stewards. And certainly one of the areas that the scripture talks about us being stewards is finances as well. And so over this week and the the two weeks that follow, we're going to talk about how we can steward the money that God has entrusted us well. And this is a discipleship issue because God is interested in bringing every portion of my heart under his rule. And he is interested in bringing every portion of your heart under his rule. So this is what we do. We steward the funds that God and trust us. Now, I want to talk with you. I want to give you just a quick uh, survey of what we're going to talk about each of the three weeks. In the next three weeks, we're going to talk about these three things. We're going to talk about, number one, that a good steward puts God first. We make choices that, that put God first, okay? Number two, we ask the better question. If you're anything like me, so often I like to ask the question, what can I afford? What can I do? What can I buy? What do I want? We get to learn how to ask a better question. And then third, in the last week, we're going to talk about how we can live for eternity because that's what a good steward does. This week, we're going to focus in on putting God first. Now, can we have a little bit of a confession time with each other? I'm not going to make you sit in a box or anything like that. You know, uh, I'll just have a little bit of confession time on, on my part. I am really good at putting a certain person first. It's myself. I'm really good at it. I'm a professional. How about you? What, nobody else? Huh, few of you are lying right now. I'm really good at putting myself first and on occasion, I'm, I'm, I'm okay at like putting people close to me first. I'm, I'm, I'm occasionally good at putting my wife first until it comes to the dishes and the laundry. Can, can we be honest, right? You know? I'm sure that there's areas of our lives where we say, oh, I'm good at putting other people first. But when it comes to putting God first, this is, this is something new. And especially when it comes 
to money. But money is so interesting because money has the ability to fund what is important to you. Money has the ability for for you to take it and to put it into this area or put it into this area or put it into this area and fund the things that are really, really important. In fact, here's what I would say to you. If you tell me where you put your money, if you tell me where your money goes, then I I will over time be able to tell you what you love. I really honestly believe it. Now, some of you say, well, Oh, all my money goes to paying bills. No, I get that, and you should keep paying your bills. Not, not. But isn't it true that we often have bills that we really don't have to? And we often put money into areas that we really don't have to. And we start looking at where money goes. We start seeing what's important to our hearts. A man named Paul wrote a letter to the believers in Corinth, and he talked to them about putting God first. He talked to them about how God wanted to change kind of their lifestyle. You see, in Corinth, in this metropolitan city that was a center of commerce, ships were constantly coming and going, goods were being, you know, uh, moved all throughout Greece through Corinth, there was a culture that said a couple of things about stewardship. It said, no, you're not a steward, you're an owner. You own your body, you own your money. So people in Corinth, people were very liberal with their bodies, and they were very stingy with their money. People gave their bodies to virtually everyone, and they gave their money to virtually no one, because it was theirs. And And God started changing lives. And as he started changing lives, he started teaching them to do the exact opposite. He started teaching them to give their bodies to virtually no one and to give their money to virtually everyone to be generous because that's who he he is. That's who he is. He taught them to be generous. And if we would learn to put God first, it would make a significant change in how we handle finances. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he talks about what it looks like to put God first. Something was happening at this time in, 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 in Corinth. A, a bit before, Paul had come through Corinth and talked to them about a problem in Jerusalem. There were believers in Jerusalem who were experiencing a major famine, and not only that, because they had taken a stand for their faith, many of them were losing their jobs, and they were being persecuted, and so there were Christians who were struggling all throughout Jerusalem and Judea, and so a number of the churches on the Mediterranean Rim started raising funds to help people in need. We're not saying raising funds to build buildings or opulent, you know, things. We're saying they were actually caring about people and raising funds to make a difference. And the Corinthian church was the first church to say, we will do it. So they started raising the funds. And now Paul is sending people around to, to pick up those funds. And so he wrote to them beforehand to remind them, hey, putting God first means something. When it comes to your finances. And I want you to see what he had to say. Because in it, we can see what it looks like to put God first as stewards with our money. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, this is what Paul writes. He starts with something I think that's phenomenal. He starts with just, just a general principle for life. He says this, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get what? A small crop. You plant five seeds, what's the most you're getting back? Five plants. Like, it, it, it's not rocket science, right? It's, I mean... You know, if you plant a small number of seeds, you're going to get a small crop in return. On the other hand, the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Now, he's talking in the context of giving, and he's reminding them to finish the work that they had already started. They had committed themselves to raising funds to help people in need. And he says, here's a general principle for life. You Reap what you, it's a general principle. And he's applying it to the, to the believer in Christ when it comes to giving. So then he says this, he gives some instructions on the, the motivations for giving and, and the thought process behind giving. In verse 7, look at what he says. He says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Nobody else gets to tell you. I don't get to tell you what to give that's, that's not the way it goes. You need to decide in your own heart what God would have you do. And you don't give reluctantly. It's not like God's trying to pry open your wallet or your purse and get something. No, it already belongs to him. We're simply saying, God, this is yours. Tell me where to put it. What box do you want it in, God? We don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. No. Instead, here's, here's the motivation. God loves a cheerful giver. What's the motivation? I see an opportunity that God wants me to invest in. I want to cheerfully give to what God has called me to give. So, how do we put God First, recognizing the, the, the principle of the harvest that you reap what you sow, recognizing the motivations and all of that. How do we put God first? Well, here's how. We give generously. That's, that's what a believer is called to do. Now, here's, here's the thing. Let's just be honest. Sometimes that's difficult, right? Sometimes it's hard because it's like... I've got all these other things, and what do I do? No, I get it. If that's how you feel right now, I want you to catch verse 8. Because verse 8 gives us so much hope. Look at what it says. And God will generously provide. <laughs> how many times have we seen God generously provide? How many times have we, we known that something was tight and God met the need? God will generously provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. This is the reality. We give generously because that's what he does. This is what we do because God just takes care of us time and time again. Now, over the years, um, I, I, haven't, I, I haven't always uh, 
you know, I haven't always been, you know, super obedient in the realm of giving. When I was 21, 22 years old, going to to Bible college, my wife and I were just getting married, and I just thought, there is no way that I can give, because I am paying for Bible college, and that's my giving, you know? And it wasn't until Amanda and I were sitting in, a, in another church and, and God just like spoke to my heart and said, it is time for you to change. And, and when I was wrestling through that, that time of God calling me to change, I started thinking about a couple of objections. There were these barriers to me giving. I want to share with you a couple of barriers that came up in my mind. The first one was, what if I need that money later? <laughs> like, what if the car breaks down? Or, or what, if, what if, you know, I, I got a bill that comes up unexpectedly, or someone ends up in the hospital, and, and all of this kind of like worry stuff started to creep into my mind. What if I'm going to need that? later and God reminded me of this verse the verse that we just read verse 8 God will generously provide all you need you may not have had everything you want but you have certainly had up to this point of your life everything that you need God has taken care of you, and he won't stop now. He will not. He will provide all that you need, and then you will have some left over so that you can share with other people. This is a barrier. Listen, believers, this is a barrier that we have to step over, and we have to make a choice to trust, to trust God. There's another barrier that came up in my mind, and the the other barrier was, well, What if there's a better opportunity or something better to give to? Here's the reality. If God puts something in front of you and asks you to give, you obey. And then if there's another opportunity, he will provide again. That's who we are. This is what we do. Now, Paul continued, and remember, he's talking to them. He's talking to the Corinthian church and reminding them to finish the good work that they began. And, and, and he, he's talking to them about raising these funds for people in need. So he goes on and, and reminds them of principles. He says, as the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. This is a quotation from the book of Psalms. And, and he's, Paul's rooting his teaching to them in the Old Testament. He's saying, you've already known this from the Old Testament, that people who give freely and share freely with people in need, then guess what? God uses it and God takes care of them and provides for them. But also, man, there's something that's remembered. God uses them mightily. Then verse 10, for in God, for God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and he will increase. Do you see this? God provides the seed. You take the seed, you plant the seed, and God does what? He grows it. He brings the increase. He will increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. We give generously, and then what does God do? God multiplies abundantly. A number of years ago, Amanda and I were involved in a church in Kansas City, 
And uh, I, I can't remember how many years ago it was. It was probably 12 or 13 years ago. Um, we, we had we'd seen God bless some in our church, and there were a lot of young families in the area, and, and our our children's ministry area was just not very good, but we had, a, we had a great team, and we needed to raise some money to create a great environment so that kids would be safe and come and have fun. And, and I had to step out on faith and raise money for the first time, and I was super nervous. I, think, I don't think I was even 30 years old, and I had to, like, you know, uh, come together and lead and ask people to give generously. And at the time, I thought the amount of money that we needed to raise was like crazy. I had to raise $10,000, and I thought it was crazy, you know? And we started asking. We started praying and asking people to give, and people stepped up and gave abundantly. I mean, above and beyond what we had thought. And can I tell you what happened? What happened, we, we did the work, we created this environment, we had the people in place, we started telling kids about Jesus, and we went from having about 10 kids show up every week to having 80 kids show up a week, and kids started trusting Jesus. God multiplied abundantly. And I'm going to tell you, that was a good investment. I just wonder, where is God calling you to give generously. I, I love what's happening in this text. I mean, if you read, you can go and read for yourself in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the, the church, some of them, they, they were uh, the Macedonians, they were giving first and foremost to the ministry where they were, and then they were giving abundantly to send money to go and help the Christians in Jerusalem. I mean, they were, they were watching out for needs. Listen, believers, this is what we do. We live generously. We open our hearts, yes. We open our homes, yes. We open our wallets, yes. This is what we do. And God multiplies it. God changes lives. Verse 11, Paul finishes off this section and he says this, yes, you will be enriched in every way. <laughs> I we, we love that part. We love the, oh yeah, I want to be enriched. Well, how do we get there? We get there by sowing generously. And listen, I, you, you begin to give. God may enrich you generously, but if he raises the, the, the amount that you have, he doesn't raise it so it can change your standard of living. He raises it so it can continue to change your standard of giving. That's what God does. He will enrich you in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those in need, they will thank God. Why? Because whose leader are we following? God's. God is changing lives. Now, here's the thing. We tend to have a, a, a bit of an issue with money in our culture. <laughs> and there's a couple of different cycles that we can go down with money. I find it easy to slip into what, a, what I call a, a scarcity cycle. The scarcity cycle goes a little bit like this. God gives, God supplies, and then we take it and we consume. And usually by consume, I mean we, we use it completely because not only do we pay our bills and take care of it, but then we're like, oh, well, I've got a little extra. Cool, yes, I want to go do, do this. 
And before we know it, we begin to lack again, like we're short. Oh, wait a minute, I, I, I might need, and then when we, we begin to lack, we get scared, we begin to fear, and we go, oh no, what are we going to do? And then when we get afraid, we start doing retail therapy, and so we consume more to make ourselves feel better, and before we know it, now our only choice is to get into debt and start the whole cycle over and over Again, because why? Well, I don't have enough, and if I just had more, then I would be better. When in reality, God calls us into something different. He calls us into the supply cycle, not a scarcity cycle. He calls us into the supply cycle where, where essentially God provides, and then what do we do? We, we give first and foremost. We give first. We give off of the top. We start there. Again, remember those, remember those controlling words, not, not reluctantly, you know, not under compulsion. No one's forcing you to do anything but to give cheerfully. We do it because we want to worship because that's what we do. And then God takes what we give and he multiplies it. He uses it. And not only does he use it in other people's lives, but he actually does something in your life where you begin, you begin to grow in trusting him. And then, you know, he grows our faith. God steps in and begins to grow our faith, and eventually what is produced is a harvest of righteousness where he has changed not only other people, but he has changed you. And you've learned to trust and wait. Wait is a word we don't like, but we've grown now, if you're anything like me, giving and generosity is very, it's just a challenge. But we aren't the first people to struggle with it. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel really struggled with obeying God. God gave them clear instructions on giving first and foremost to him, and they struggled with it over and over and over. He sent prophets and, and, and leaders and priests to remind them, and one of those prophets was a guy named Malachi, and Malachi talked to them about, about hey, if you'll just trust me, can I tell you what will happen? If you'll just try it, just try me and trust me and see what will happen. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, he, he says this, Bring all of the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, what, what, what what's going to happen? If they, just, if they just realize that they were stewards, not owners, if they just embraced generosity, what, what would happen? Well, he answers. He says, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. I do not want you to hear that if you give, God's just going to give you more because that's not what the scripture says. But I do think what is very clear is that when we give, he, and he sees that he can trust us and he continues to entrust us with things so that we can pass them on and use them generously. Bring in the tithe, he says. I just wonder, have you ever considered tithing to be a part of discipleship? 
Tithing to be a part of increasing obedience in every aspect of your life. See, the, the, the scripture calls us to generosity, and I think the tithe is a great place to start. Here's why. The tithe does some things. First of all, it teaches us to put God first. It does something in us, and it builds our faith. It shows us that we can trust God, and then it, it helps provide for the work of God's church, and I'm telling you, it begins to be used by God to change lives. For example, Around here, I don't know if you know this, but each one of our campuses support multiple missionaries around the world who are telling people about Jesus on our behalf and helping to plant churches. Not only that, we support a number of, of, of faith-based ministry works right here in Broome County. We are involved in a number of things. Uh, we, we, we do our own benevolence. Let me just show you a few things from last year. Last year, out of, out of this campus alone, in, in 2022, we were able to help 30, or across all of our campuses, we were able to help 35 families and two organizations with $17,215. We were able to get, give another 45000 to help other organizations like Life Choices and CareNet and then Hope for Cora. These are, that's a, it's an orphanage in Africa that we are involved in helping to support. That's, that, that's just a very small portion of what we actually give. It doesn't even come close to, to listing all of it. And so as you, as you give generously, God takes and multiplies it. That's what, that's what he does. And as we are thinking here in the, in the next couple of weeks, you know, as you, are, as you are praying and considering what God might have you to do when it comes to our Vision 2023 uh, time of giving, we do this year in and year out, not because we need the money. Can I be clear on that? Not because we need the money, but because we know that God has called us to be a people who are generous, and so we, we want to call you into increasing obedience. God supplies everything that's needed. We, we, we don't just need the money, but we do see opportunities for people to grow and being generous, and then God can multiply it. So as you consider our, our Vision 2023 giving, remember, we're going to be we're going to be putting more money back into Hope for Cora. They're going to be starting a brand new child care, a, a new, new division of what they're, they're doing there in, in Africa. We're going to be working on more community gatherings. Like in Hancock right now, there's probably 60 or 70 people who are hearing a message similar to this. And, and we've not had a location there. They're getting to point people towards Jesus in Hancock, New York. That's wonderful. We want to see more of that. We're, we're working on multiplying ministry leaders like our, our interns. We, we have um, interns at a number of our campuses, interns working in kids' ministries, interns working um, with, with videography and all sorts of things. We're, we're going to be working on office renovations. I, I said this in the last service. Can I just tell you, um, that building, I don't know, Denise might know. Denise is here with us this morning. She might know uh, more about when it was built. It was built in the 1800s or something like that. It is quite cold in there in the winter, and we'd like to change that. I, for one, would like to change that. <laughs> um, and then finally, our Tunkhannock campus. We've been seeing God bless four salvations there to this week. Amen, right? That's awesome, right? 
Um, they're, they're currently having about 330 people a week in, in those three services with an auditorium that sits 90, you know. And uh, we, we need to update the new building that we've been able to purchase for them so that more people can hear about Christ. So what do we do? We give generously. This is what we do. And God multiplies it. Now, there's a couple of steps that you might consider taking, okay? A couple of steps along the way. And really, it kind of depends on where you're at. One step that you could choose to take is to begin to give regularly. Uh, I'm going to illustrate this with a couple of different pieces of footwear. If, you, if you're wearing a sandal, you know, you're probably not doing anything too crazy. You're probably not going hiking all day or going on a long trip. You're wearing your sandals because it's warm and it's fairly comfortable. And I would invite you to take this first step of considering giving regularly. Another step that you could consider taking requires a little bit more uh, per, you know, protection, so to speak, would be giving proportionately. It's looking at what God has entrusted to you, the amount of, that he gives you um, week in and week out, and to give according to that. Because again, you're not responsible to give according to what I've been entrusted, and I'm not responsible to give as according to what you've been entrusted. We, we're called to give proportionately, Okay? That's what we're called to. But then the last step that you could consider is one that's a little more hardy and, and, and difficult. It's what the Bible calls giving sacrificially above and beyond. It's a lot like wearing a pair of these hiking boots because you're going to go do the Appalachian Trail, you know, and you know that it's going to be tough. Maybe God is calling you to one of those steps. No matter where you're at, here's what I would invite you to do. I would invite you to try the tithe. Try it and see what God does. See if God doesn't open up the windows of heaven. See if God doesn't meet your needs. See if God doesn't take care of you. See, and I, I tell you what, if God doesn't, you tell me, and I guarantee you, We'll find a way to get it back to you. Because God always provides. Try the tithe. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for how much you love us. Thank you for how generous you are. God, we, we give because you gave. That, that's, that's just what we do. And you give and give and give over and over and over. And you are often way more generous than with me than I tend to be in other areas. You are gracious even with how you, you give. God, I pray that the believers in this room, that our lives, that our actions and the way our our, our Giving is oriented would reflect your heart so that we can become more and more like Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name.